You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, July 13th, 2023. Later in the program, Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between the WFHB Local News and Medicare for All Indiana. This month, we interviewed Michelle Higgs, an activist with Hoosier Action and the national group People's Action, and their Care Over Cost project. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB correspondent Clayton Young reports on off-night productions, new play at the John Waldron Arts Center. But first, your State House Roundup. From WFHB, this is the State House Roundup for Thursday, July 13th, 2023. I'm Benedict Jones. Former Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill announced on Monday, July 3rd, that he is entering the race for Indiana governor. In the past, Hill aligned himself with conservatives like former U.S. President Trump. It seems Hill will continue his pro-Trump policies as he begins his run for governor making clear in his statement that he will be running as a Republican. Hill says Hoosiers are looking for a, quote, proven conservative and fresh voice, end quote. While Hill is a bit late to the race with three other candidates already well established, experts say he still has a chance to draw votes. Other candidates in the race for Indiana governor include Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, U.S. Senator Mike Braun, and Eric Doden. The Indy Star published a report in 2018, which accused Hill of inappropriately touching four women at a bar party. While the allegations and lawsuit were dismissed, it's possible some voters may take this into account when casting their ballot next year. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita wrote a letter to Superstore chain Target over their line of LGBTQ pride merchandise. Rakita was joined along with six other conservative state attorneys who found the clothing line warranted legal concern. Conservatives online have expressed their anger this past month, saying pride merchandise is harmful for children. The trend to enter Target and fill merchandise, deemed as harmful, has gone viral on platforms like TikTok. Rakita's letter is based partly on the same misinformation spread by these viral trends. Rakita said in his letter, quote, as the chief legal officers of our states, We are charged with enforcing state laws protecting children and safeguarding parental rights. State child protection laws penalize the sale or distribution of obscene matter." End quote. Rakita's letter also mentioned concerns over, quote, Satanist-inspired products. While Target did partner with the brand Abpralin, as Rakita claimed, the products placed in store did not promote Satanism. Rakita also claimed that Target has partnered with GLSEN, which Rakita alleged supported the, quote, secret gender transitions for kids, end quote. In the past, however, the organization has supported anti-bullying laws and policies that support LGBTQ plus students. 
It's unclear whether Target will continue its Pride collection next year, but the company did lose money in the month of June after backlash broke out online. Keith Potts, the Indianapolis City County Councilor, announced he will run for the U.S. Senate. The position opened after U.S. Senator Mike Braun announced he will be running for Indiana governor. Potts is running as a Democrat and will run against Mark Carmichael, a Democrat. U.S. Representative Jim Banks is running as well as a Republican. Potts is advocating for more gun control and better health care nationally. Potts has a long road ahead of him as he attempts to flip the traditionally red seat to blue. That's all for the State House Roundup. For WFHB News, I'm Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Herhusky Schneider. The Monroe County Board of Commissioners met on July 5th, 2023. After department updates and the statement of salaries and proposed wages for the 2023 calendar year, Director Chief Technology Officer Greg Crone presented the Matrix Integration Service Agreement. Due to a hardware failure of a component known as an adaptive security appliance, or commonly known as an ASA, uh, our Sheriff's Reserve Building currently has no network or phone access at all in that building. The security appliance, for lack of a better term, is a router or modem on steroids. It's uh, (laughs) security is built into this because you don't want people hacking into your wireless signal, obviously, when you're transferring the data. So this is a much more secure appliance than what a standard router or modem would be. Um, We've had to have these configured previously by another company uh, during the previous director's uh, tenure. This, I, this piece of hardware was approximately 10 years old, so mm-hmm. it's no surprise that it failed. So this request is to have uh, matrix integrations come in, configure that ASA com- uh, hardware, and get that installed for us so that we can have network again at the reserves. No public questions or comments were made, and the motion passed unanimously. The next item on the agenda was the Adult Protective Services contract presented by Executive Director of the Monroe County Prosecutor's Office, Beth Hamlin. Uh, This is our request for signature on the APS contract. It's entered into between the Monroe County Board of Commissioners, the Prosecutor, and Indiana Family and Social Services Administration Division on Aging. Typically, this is a one-year contract. However, this contract is a two-year contract running from July 1st of 2023 through June 30th of 2025. And the funds will pay for the provision of adult protective services in Monroe, Morgan, and Owen County. Commissioner Julie Thomas asked Hamlin to explain the role of Adult Protective Services. Hamlin responded. Sure. Um, Adult Protective Services investigates allegations of um, endangered adults that are either uh, being exploited or abused. They perform the investigation and then refer for services, um, occasionally appearing in court if it gets to that point. The commissioners approved the contract unanimously. The next meeting for the Monroe County Board of Commissioners will be held on July 19, 2023. At the Bloomington Utility Services Board meeting on July 23rd, the board considered approving four different budgets, all which were passed unanimously. Then the next topic of discussion was a request for approval of an MOU with Touchdown Terrace LLC, for sewer contribution for property located at 19th Street and Dunn Street. 
Assistant City Attorney Chris Wheeler presented on the MOU. And in this situation, we have an MOU for 19th and North Dunn Street between CBU and um, Touchdown Terrace LLC. They are, as I understand it, putting in new apartment buildings, which will increase uh, uh, the, the use of this average flow or capacity, if you will, of the of this sanitary sewer stretch by 3.72%. Uh, the parties worked on that average, agreed to it, uh, understood the amount of the cost that CBU spent to expand the sewer downstream, which was two, roughly $2.25 million worth of expansion. And uh, so the, the calculation done for this MOU and the agreement made was for a one-time contribution by uh, the developer in the amount of $92,548.38. Um, and staff recommends approval of this MOU. After a few questions from board members, a motion was made, and the Bloomington Utility Services Board voted, voted unanimously to approve the MOU. The board then moved to a second project that was very similar in nature, but was at 420 East 19th Street, still with Touchdown Terrace LLC, for sewer contribution. Wheeler was asked to disclose the amount. Uh, it's with the same parties, so we're still dealing with Touchdown Terrace LLC, uh, Touchdown Terrace South LLC. Um, and the amount, the amount of average flow is 2.61%, and the percentage, that percentage extrapolated out for the cost of the sanitary sewer infrastructure located south of this project or downstream, if you will, uh, turns out to be $64,838. Uh, that's a percentage of the two and a, roughly $2.5 million uh, expense. The motion passed unanimously. The next meeting for the Bloomington Utility Services Board will be held on Monday, July 17, 2023. Up next, we have the latest edition of Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between the WFHB Local News and Medicare for All Indiana. This month, we interviewed Michelle Higgs, an activist with Hoosier Action and the national group People's Action and their Care Over Cost project. She recently spoke at a demonstration in Washington, D.C. in front of the headquarters of the AHIP, or America's Health Insurance Plans. We turn to host Dr. Rob Stone and Karen Greenstone for Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB. Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Our guest today is Michelle Higgs. Michelle Higgs is a member of Medicare for All, Poor People's Campaign, Faith in Indiana, and Hoosier Action. Among her many activities, Michelle has been involved with 
Her work with Hoosier Action and Medicaid coverage has affected the lives of many Hoosiers, including fighting for pregnant worker accommodation at the state and federal levels. She is currently working with Care Over Cost, a national group organized to stop claim denial by health insurance companies. She is also advocating on behalf of Medicaid patients who have lost health care due to the disenrollment practices by the state of Indiana. Our listeners may recall an interview with Tracy Hutchings Getz of Hoosier Action in December talking about the unwinding of Medicaid enrollment since the COVID public health emergency ended. Michelle Higgs, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare. Thank you. Glad to be here. You were recently in DC at a national meeting of Care Over Cost, a grassroots campaign founded by the group People's Action dedicated to fight against health insurance companies that deny needed care or to pay bills for care already received. At the meeting in June, you spoke in front of a crowd of over a thousand people who demonstrated in front of the office of the National Lobbying Group, America's Health Insurance Plans, AHIP. Michelle, what inspired you to travel to DC and to join up with other People's Action members who are working for Healthcare for All? I think what I saw in the Care Over Cost campaign was a way, first off, of centering people being directly adversely affected by our for-profit healthcare. But then also, and they talk about this a lot, as a practical, winnable stepping stone towards Medicare for All. And so it's a way to actually bring more people into the conversation and into the fight. It is a way to reimagine what healthcare can be that is centered on people. And it's also a way to really get people angry at what has happened. And the fact that one of the stories I heard was a woman who her husband had been diagnosed with cancer. And while they were waiting for the treatment authorization, it was denied and he passed away. And so she's widowed with a young son. And since I actually, years and years ago, I had a sister who passed away from breast cancer through a delayed care situation. This was during the time of pre-existing conditions. Remember those? And she did not go to get any diagnosis, even though she had a lump because she didn't want to have a pre-existing condition that would deny her care. By the time she got a job that offered health insurance and went through the 60-day waiting period, it had metastasized. And even though she went through radical treatment, it was just not enough. They caught it too late. When I heard about the denial of care, that is, it's basically the same thing, a different strategy to basically deny people health care. And for our listeners, you'll recall that pre the Affordable Care Act or what people call Obamacare, that insurance companies could deny people on pre-existing conditions from having health insurance. So Michelle, would you tell us more about the People's Action Institute and the Care Over Cost campaign? Sure. I'll reference from their website because that'll be a better, more accurate description, but Basically, according to their website, People's Action Institute's mission is to advance a long-term agenda for racial, economic, and gender justice by investing in powerful state and local organizations and campaigns 
that win real change in people's lives. You've been really involved with changing people's lives with Hoosier Action for many years. Can you talk about that, particularly what your proudest accomplishment is with Hoosier Action? Yes. I think when we had the memorial service at the State House for those that had died from COVID and it was not being acknowledged, it was like the one year anniversary. And we had a multi faith memorial service. I want to say there was around 300 people that attended. And again, this was coming out of the lockdown. And for many people, this was their only time of sharing the grief of loss of family. And yeah, it was for me just, it encapsulated why I got involved in organizing. It was to bring people together to move something, to have a conversation, to bring those that are directly impacted to the center. And yeah, so that will remain with me as probably one of my proudest moments. And finally, Michelle Higgs, what is your prescription for healthcare? Ultimately, I think the Medicare for all or universal healthcare, I want to be able to go see a doctor and not have the first question be, how are you going to pay for it? I want to receive treatment from my medical professionals that is not gatekeeped by another invisible group of people that tells my doctors what they can and can't do for me. And I feel like we can have an imagination to to provide healthcare, to understand that without health, what are we, what can we do? It affects so many things. And I just feel like that will, Medicare for All will remain my North Star. And anything that moves that forward, anything that empowers people, to advocate for their own health, I'm all for. Can you tell us just a little bit more about what you said when you spoke to the crowd out in front of the AHIP offices? Yeah, the role that I had in the speaking was to share the demands of the group. And so there were nine demands and it was to really push back against the fact that you have a trade organization of health insurance companies that Public facing seemed to be, we're trying to save money and do all these things, but behind the scenes, they're actually lobbying to work against their policyholders. And interestingly enough, AHIB has a white paper where the wording on it, anytime they're talking about you and I, we are either classified as consumers or patients, not policyholders. And there's no mention in any of their savings plans on how to curtail corrupt insurance practices. (laughs) No surprise there. So when I was sharing the demands, it came from a place where I have experienced a denial of a pre-authorization and I have experienced denials of claims that cause medical debt. So it was from that place of it makes no sense. My medical claim denial was interesting because I had gone to get a scan and the medical symptoms that I was experiencing, they said, 
you could be having a heart attack because they say women, it presents different than men, right? But because I went in for something that was bothering my stomach to have another picture higher up in my body, they denied because I did not originally go to the doctor for a heart condition. It was the tech that suggested when I said, you know what, I'm having problems breathing. He's, I'm going to call your doctor because we need to do a bigger scan. And I'm like, I'm not going to argue with him. I'm not going to argue with my doctor. I don't feel well. And yet to get the letter of denial because they couldn't take a second picture, even from a financial perspective, I'm like, you're wanting me to go and have another doctor's appointment, another referral, another appointment with the technician, the cost of that versus just take a second picture while you're there makes no sense. The blatant, I think, discrimination of women's health that cannot conceive that, oh, if the medical practice knows women have health issues and heart attacks that present differently, and yet on their checklist, that is a red flag. So to me, being able to present the demands really came from that place of this makes no sense. You make me angry. It needs to stop now. Thank you, Michelle Higgs, for talking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Look for a link to Hoosier Action and Care Over Cost on the Prescription for Healthcare page on WFHB. We will include a link to an investigation by ProPublica looking at claim denial. How often do health insurers say no to patients? No one knows. This is Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana on WFHB Community Radio. To your good health, everyone. Stay safe and thank you for listening. We may never see this moment or place and time again. If not now, if not now, tell me when. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Clayton Young reports on Off-Night Productions' new play at the John Waldron Arts Center. We turn to Young for more. Lights, curtains, proof. The director and stars sit down to discuss off-night productions and the intricacies of live theater. Look out, Bloomington. A new theater production company has just hit the scene, and this one is stirring up waves in the service industry. How? By putting the troupe first. Off-night productions is a newly formed theater company that has the goal of making local theater more accessible to Bloomington residents. Off-night is the culmination of years of discussions around how to make the local theater industry less of a burden to perform in. Aubrey Sater, co-producer and actor in Proof, said Off Night's goal is to allow actors to get roles and lucrative shifts at their day jobs. After I um, graduated with my undergraduate, I primarily worked in food service. And so my best nights of the week to make money were Thursday through like Sunday afternoon. So if ever I was cast in a great role, I always had to make this decision 
Was I going to take the role or was I going to make money for all of those weeks that I was going to be performing and rehearsing? The concept of off-night productions was formulated by Sater's mother, who was also a co-producer on the production. Other than making the process of putting on a play easier for participants' bank accounts, Offnight's goal is to give women and women-presenting people a chance to be part of the decision-making process in Bloomington's local theater production companies. The process of getting a play from conception to execution can take months, and often there are logistical hurdles to clear before anything can be done, namely obtaining the rights. Obtaining the rights to a theater production are vastly different than the studio model of obtaining rights through a legal process and paying royalties. We bought the rights to the play proof through the Dramatist's Play Service, um, and they are probably the largest purveyor of rights. I picked proof. I just went on. I looked up proof. I found it. And then you can sort of you can read through what the agreement is that the playwright and their trust have set. So David Auburn is a living playwright. So um, we, uh, you know, he's still around to um, to monitor his trust and the, you know, the rights of his play. Uh, so for some plays, they have very specific things they want you to do and they want you to use. They famously, there's this play called Waiting for Godot and you cannot not have a tree, like a specific tree in the play. Uh, for David Auburn's proof, um, we purchased rights per night. So there was a set price for purchasing the rights to the play. And then you pay a fee per number of performances that you're doing. Another element that sets off-night productions apart is their unique ability to reuse and store old sets for later productions. Traditional theater productions use staple or glue to make sets easier to move around in a quick time span. The cost to build sets light is losing a lot of material in the process. Another big obstacle production companies run into when attempting to store their sets is simply a lack of storage options. Casey Haken, the director of Proof, enlightened at WFHB on how off-night adapts to this challenge. Really, I'm so glad that that's one of the kind of core values of off-night productions. I think it's really important. Um, theater across the board can be a very wasteful industry um, environmentally for a lot of the reasons that Aubrey was describing. And yeah, I, I know at least locally, a lot of the challenge for pretty much all companies in town is just a lack of space and storage space. Um, so a lot of the time, you know, a company might want to save a set or save a ton of platforms, but they just can't because they don't know when the next time they'll use it will be and it's so expensive to pay for like a full storage unit and things like that um so usually you know they try to save stuff that's the most frequently used a lot of furniture and things like that um but it's great that off night does have storage capabilities um and that melinda is so savvy with conserving all of the materials we use with the production starting in february of 2023 consisting of getting rights approved building sets and numerous technical aspects Offnight's production of Proof has been a long road getting to where it's at now. From navigating actor schedules to acquiring repurposed materials from other sets, Offnight is a labor of love for theater and a fresh take on the world of live theater performance. Offnight Productions' performance of David Auburn's Proof will be hosted by the Waldron Fire Bay Theater through July 16th through 18th at 7 p.m. For WFHB, I'm Clayton Young. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, 
a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Yane Sanchez-Lopez in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Clayton Young. Prescription for Healthcare is produced by Dr. Rob Stone and Karen Greenstone. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 